Well, I, I think it makes me uh, uh, just a better person because uh, I, I, I have a clear mind um, and I do a lot of my, my thinking uh, when I'm out in the woods. Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So I'm delighted today on the Nurse Surgery Podcast to be welcoming a friend of the podcast, Dan Barrow. Dan was interviewed uh, about the post-COVID era. Unfortunately, we haven't quite fully entered that yet. But Dan, as you'll remember, is the uh, chair of neurosurgery at Emory University. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So this is a little bit more lighthearted. We're talking today about hobbies, and this is a continuing uh, episode in our series. And um, and I love that you're you are not afraid of controversy like me. You you uh, <laughs> you embrace your ideals, and and uh, many people have opinions about it. But I had recommended we talk maybe about shooting, and I am an avid shooter myself. But but you enjoy hunting as well, right? I do. Yeah, it's been a part of my life, uh, really, pretty much all my life. So tell us about how that got started. Was this something that began in your childhood or was it something that came to you later? Yeah. You know, I think, um, I mean, first of all, let me just say, I, I do know this it's controversial and I have great respect for other people's view of hunting and understand that many folks have an aversion to killing animals. But I, I think that, that whether one hunts or not really has a lot to do with their upbringing, um, the cultural and environmental issues, uh, whether you, grew up in an urban or a, or a rural area. You know, I grew up uh, in a hunting culture in a very small town in Midwestern Illinois, where my dad was a country doctor. My dad, my grandfathers, my brother, and all my friends hunted. And, um, you know, if you came to my house for Thanksgiving, uh, you were not going to eat a store-bought turkey. You'd eat duck or pheasant or quail or whatever else we had in the freezers. It was just a way of life for us. Well, Dr. Barrow, maybe we could expand a bit on what that way of life means. Um, As I've admitted many times on this podcast, I'm a podcast addict myself, and I listen to some famous people who have shows today, famous in the hunting community, Steve Rinella, John Dudley, Cameron Haynes, who talk about their experiences bow hunting primarily, but when they talk about it, it's almost a spiritual facet of their lives. Um, Again, I have never hunted myself. I do a lot of shooting like Dr. Wang, but I've never actually hunted. So it's something I'm not familiar with directly, but they talk about it as a very spiritual um, connection to nature and the time they spend out there and the connection with the animals. Maybe you could talk about how that integrates with your life. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. Um, it, it, it is almost spiritual. And I, I, I mean, most of the time when I hunt, I, I don't really even shoot anything uh, with, a, with a bow or with a, a rifle or a shotgun. Um, I, I just enjoy being out in the wilderness. But um, hunting is just kind of the culmination of that, of that exercise. And I, I really do think um, 
it almost uh, the spiritual part of it is you can almost feel uh, the the evolution of hunting uh, within within uh, your genes. You know, uh, the evolution of hunting is actually very very interesting. Um, you know, when you, we look back at evolution, uh, it was Homo erectus probably evolved almost two million years ago, the predecessor to Homo sapiens that 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 uh, uh, was the first to master fire. And uh, that skill of mastering fire completely changed the course of human evolution. I mean, first of all, the flames would keep, you know, the carnivores and things like that at bay so that Erectus could use his arms for other things besides hoisting himself into branches. But much more importantly, the control of fire allowed Erectus to, uh, to cook. And that cut something like five hours of chewing a day down to one hour. And those very fast calories from cooked food uh, drove a growth spurt that really resulted in, in, a, in a leap in evolution. And, you know, uh, Erectus was not uh, cooking edamame and kale. Uh, he was cooking meat. And uh, so it really is in our nature. Um, man is a carnivore. Um, and, you know, we may evolve into something else in the future and may not be carnivores, but um, our current evolution still largely requires us to use uh, to use a certain amount of meat. Yeah, Dan, I love how you go into history because, it's, you know, it's so funny to watch current trends. And, you know, I, I know I can get controversial with this, but, you know, you bring up the historical aspect of our species and in the future as well. And, you know, you think about in the future, people may look down very negatively at animal husbandry or even agricultural practice. Right. So everything looks so, so primitive in the rearview mirror. Right. So I, I agree with you about that. But tell us about hunting as a hobby, because um, you had invited us to your uh, if you will, shooting club during the Suns meeting a number of years back. And I remember that was a really, really great time in, in suburban Atlanta. And I enjoy shooting trap, which is really uh, target practice, right? You're shooting clays going at about 60 miles an hour. And it's it's basically a, uh, it's a sport of coordination and skill and whatnot. Tell us how hunting is different from that and how maybe it's it's more, more visceral. Well, I think it's... Uh depending upon what you're hunting, um, it, it's certainly more physical. Um, you know, much of the hunting that I do requires uh, an enormous amount of physical activity. I mean, hunting things like, like uh, deer and, and uh, elk and doll sheep and things of that nature require hiking uh, long distances, sometimes climbing mountains. Um, but, you know, other kinds of hunting, um, uh, duck hunting, for example, you're, you're sitting um, and calling the ducks. And so there's a certain skill to trying to uh, take a, a fairly bright animal and convince it to come to you. Turkey hunting is probably one of the most difficult things of all to do. Turkey, you know, we call people a turkey. It's, it's not really a, a, a uh, it's not, not a compliment, but a turkey is actually a very, very bright animal. And if a turkey could smell which they don't do very well, you would never shoot a turkey. But their hearing and their vision are absolutely incredible. Well, I wonder, Dr. Barrow, as you spoke about, you, you briefly mentioned earlier that most of the time that you go hunting, you end up not shooting anything or, or most of the time spent is not in the act of hunting. It's the culmination of a day in nature. So I imagine that many of our listeners, um, when they hear the word hunting, don't really have a grasp of what that means. 
how the day is spent and what the actual activity is, they, they have a vague sense from movies and TV shows or people who may have problems with it just think hunting equals hurting animals equals bad. So maybe if you could, obviously the, the terrain will differ, the game will differ, but if you could pick maybe your favorite game, your favorite place to go, and briefly just walk us through one day out in the bush, um, a, a way that you would spend it hunting, and what parts of that give you such joy? Yeah, well, that's, um, as I said, I hunt a lot of different things, and, and they're all very different. Comparing different kinds of hunting is almost like comparing different types of sporting uh, activities. They all have in common maybe the exertion of energy, but but how you uh, what your goal is and how you achieve that goal is very, very different among different sports, and it's, it's similar with hunting. Uh, I'll take, for example, duck hunting. So duck hunting, you know, is done... Um, early, early in the morning, usually you get up before daybreak. You, it's usually cold. In fact, the more miserable the weather is, the better the duck hunting is. Uh, sunny days, ducks tend to, tend to sit and they don't get out and feed much because they don't need as much food. So you're sitting in a blind, you're usually cold, uh, oftentimes wet, it's oftentimes raining or snowing, and you're calling with a duck call to try to mimic the duck uh, to get them to come in. And then there's a, a, a volley of shooting. And, and, and then um, one of the most uh, remarkable things is, is to watch the dogs that then leap out of the blind and are trained to go uh, fetch the ducks and bring them back to you. And so you're, 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 you're working with, with uh, you know, animals, the dogs, you're, you're with friends. Um, uh, the, the, the climate is usually um, not, not, beneficial to your health. Um, uh, and, and there's a, can be a fair amount of shooting. Now you can contrast that with something like elk hunting, where, uh, you are climbing mountains, um, from early in the morning, sometimes till late at night, sometimes calling, but constantly moving quietly, uh, to try to find a, a herd of elk and, and you can only shoot uh, males. You can't shoot females. So you have to pick, not only a male, but you have to pick one that generally is old and beyond the reproductive years. Um, and you fire one shot and your hunt is over, whether that hunt is for a, a, a day or for uh, two weeks. Uh, generally, the limit is one and, and you got enough uh, meat to feed you for a, a long, long time. Yeah, you know, one of the themes that's emerged in this whole series on hobbies is sort of neurosurgeons uh, affinity for hobbies where there's a lot of planning and precision and patience and, uh, and if you will, discipline, right? This is not something where you just pick up a gun someday and just run out and just shoot a bunch of squirrels, right? What you're talking about is a sort of a very refined, high level, uh, I would call it even an art form uh, beyond the sport, where you have to understand the zoology, right? The psychology, the environment of the animal uh, that you're that you're pursuing is that correct, Dr. Barrow? Yeah, it is correct, and it, it's something that I began, you know, very early in life, uh, as I said, because it was just a way of life for us. But I probably began hunting when I was about eight years old, under the the very close tutelage of my father and my grandfathers, um, who would take me out, and and because it was just a way of life, um, I just continued to do it throughout my life, and. Um, you know, I, I do think it's it's important to 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 you know address the uh, the fact that that because because it's controversial because many people have never hunted and 
they listen to something like this and just think, God, you know, how could anybody do something like that? And as I said, I have incredible respect for, for other viewpoints, but I find that there are, are ethical um, and then hypocritical objections to hunting. I mean, the ethical ones um, are, are very, very clear. You know, many opponents of hunting uh, live their lives as vegetarians. Uh, they avoid the use of, you know, virtually any animal products. And I have great respect that their uh, opinion differs uh, from mine. But there are also hypocrites um, who, you know, feign outrage at hunting, but yet, you know, have a, no problem eating a hamburger or a pork chop or um, something that someone else has killed for them, or they wear leather shoes or leather belts. And I, I guess they assume that, that that cow died of leukemia or something. Um, and, and, and that's what troubles me is, um, you know, the, hip, the hypocrites uh, that don't really understand that, you know, what I hunt, um, I eat. I don't go shoot animals just for the sake of shooting them. I, I never hunt anything uh, that isn't uh, consumed completely as part of either my diet or the diet of my f friends who uh, like for me to share game with them. So, I think that's an important point. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. My wife is from a family way up north, very rural um, New York, and her father was a hunter, her brother's a hunter, and she hates the, the concept in general and that she hates animals being killed. But she always told me that when she was a young girl out with her father, that's where she learned about nature. And and what you're indicating, you know, it's interesting. When I talk to to really devoted hunters, many of them are in some ways also tremendous conservationists because they have, I mean, they've spent much more time with these animals than any other group of people, except maybe zookeepers. And those are captive animals, right? I mean, these hunters really um, are, are up close and personal. And, and, and in some ways, if you have any compassion, then it, it brings you to a closer identification with the prey you're stalking, right? Yes, that it is absolutely true. And, and that's a very important point. Historically, um, the greatest conservationists are, are, are hunters. Um, when, the, when the bighorn sheep in the Rocky Mountains are starving, it is not the Sierra Club that is up there bringing them food. It's Ducks Unlimited and hunting organizations like that that spend millions of dollars raised by hunters to protect game and make sure that it's abundant so that we can continue to hunt and so that the sport that we love uh, will continue on. Uh, so, you know, there are examples of animals that have been brutally uh, beaten. Um, uh, passenger pigeons, you know, have been shot. Buffalo were wiped out. But many of those uh, examples were not from hunters. They were from people that just were out killing animals for the sake of killing them. When I, when I talk about a hunter, I'm talking about an ethical human being who has respect for nature, who hunts what he or she can eat or what he or she can eat and share with, with uh, their, their friends, their family, their colleagues uh, that might uh, also, uh, you know, get nutrition from those foods, uh, not somebody that just goes out to kill. Well, if that's your definition of a hunter, Dr. Barrow, maybe we could talk a bit about the making of a hunter. Um, you alluded in, in your own life, you started as, uh, as a young man, as a child taught by your father but I imagine there have to be some folks out there listening to this podcast who have never been exposed to this way of life in this pastime, but may have an interest in it and may want to explore that side of life and see if it's something that they would enjoy and a world they would like to be part of. 
have you personally had any friends or family members who, uh, who you know that got into hunting later in life as adults, maybe that you were there with them through the process, or if not, maybe could you offer any general advice for someone who wants to break into the field? Absolutely. I have had a number of friends who uh, grew up in a non-hunting culture who, because they knew that I was a hunter, have come to me um, and asked me to teach them to hunt. Um, in fact, some of my colleagues and partners um, have asked me to take their sons uh, and even daughters uh, hunting, uh, which I've gladly done. We have a farm right outside of the city of Atlanta that is filled with turkey and, and deer and quail. And I have on many, many occasions taken friends of mine or their family members who have expressed an interest in learning to hunt and had not grown up hunting. And uh, I've been delighted to be able to teach them about gun safety, about how to shoot a bow, uh, how to shoot a rifle, how to shoot a shotgun, uh, and how to um, uh, even, you know, dress the animals once they're, once they're, they're uh, killed, um, to field dress a deer or to dress uh, a turkey uh, in preparation for, for feeding it. So I think the, the best way, if somebody is interested in learning to hunt and they did not grow up doing it, is to find a friend who is a, a hunter that can take the time and has the interest in teaching them the, the safety uh, and the principles of hunting. Um, if, that, if that isn't available, most major cities have hunting clubs um, where uh, there will be an instructor that can teach somebody to shoot, whether it's a shotgun or a, or a bow or a, or a rifle or, or all of those. So certainly there are um, uh, available resources to do that. But uh, I think the ideal one is to find a friend who's a hunter and, and uh, just tag along. Well, Dan, I've had the privilege of meeting your wonderful children. I, I should say adult children now, right? And uh, and we've had some conversations about hunting, and, and they've obviously uh, gotten the bug for that as well. And it seems like it's been a great way for you to bond uh, additionally with your children. And I guess it's the first, right, JP, of the hobbies where we've we've had the the neurosurgeon actually employ the hobby with their kids or, or engage them, I should say. Um, kind of a plug for an upcoming miniseries we have on neurosurgery families. But um, Dan, tell us a little bit more about neurosurgery and hunting. Like, how do you, is there any sort of at a Zen level where it relates to neurosurgery? Does being a hunter make you a better neurosurgeon? Does being a neurosurgeon make you a better hunter? Well, I, I think it makes me uh, uh, just a better person because uh, I, I feel, I have a clear mind um, and I do a lot of my, my thinking uh, when I'm out in the woods. Now, whether I'm hunting or not, I can do that and I do do that. I, I grew up in a, in a rural small town, a farming town, working on farms, obviously hunting, as I've said. Uh, I'm not a big city person, but I chose a career that obligates me to live in a big city. And um, my career obligates me to do most of my work indoors. We don't do a lot of outdoor surgery in Atlanta. Um, and we don't have outdoor clinics. So uh, I think what hunting provides me is an escape to get outdoors uh, when I have free time. Um, so um, I, w whether I'm outdoors riding a bicycle or snow skiing or hunting, I think it's a, a way to clear my mind and to, to think, um, reflect on, on my patients, on cases that I've done or cases that are upcoming. And I think hunting is just another venue uh, that allows me to be out of doors uh, in an environment that makes me feel closer to nature and closer, um, you know, to that 
to that uh, that background that Homo sapiens evolved from. Uh, I think I do think that hunting uh, is is in our genes. Um, I remember so vividly being in, in Africa the first time hunting. Uh, I was in Zimbabwe and sitting around a campfire listening to hyenas howl. And my buddies that I was hunting with were each telling a story about what they had done today. And, and one of us said, well, wait, 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 let me tell you what I did, what I did. And I could just imagine uh, early you know, humanoids sitting around a campfire talking about how they killed the woolly mammoth or, or the saber-toothed tiger and how their hunting technique was better than the other and how, uh, how hominids evolved um, as a result of that. So um, it's, it is somewhat spiritual, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, just another means, of a vehicle to get me out of doors and out of a hospital or a clinic, which I, I love, um, but I love because I can contrast it with the out of doors. Well, Dr. Barrow, to wrap things up today, I was going to ask you to tell us the story of your favorite hunt, but I think that African story might be an obvious candidate. So uh, to improvise, I think I will leave you open-ended with a choice. Um, From all of your memories and all your experiences through your whole life of hunting, if you could think of one of the greatest or best hunts you've ever had and share that story with us and the memory it's left you with, or to your preference, one of the worst hunts you've ever had, what went wrong and what you learned from that, I think either of those avenues would be a great way to wrap up today's conversation. Well, I can uh, combine them into the best and the worst in one story. So I, many years ago, I was uh, in the very, very northern part of Alaska, about 50 miles south of the Arctic Ocean, and um, I shot a moose. Um, it was about, uh, I'd say, 20 degrees outside. It was fairly warm for Alaska at that time of the year. And I, I butchered the, the moose and brought it back to my one-man pup tent. And that night, the weather changed, and it dropped to about 20 below zero. And I had a radio, and as it was dying, I was told by my, my guide that he could not come get me because of the weather and that I'd be stuck there for a while. I was supposed to be home uh, 48 hours later. I had patients scheduled in surgery. I had patients scheduled in my clinic. And for about 30 minutes, I I panicked. And I thought that the world could not possibly go on without me. What are those patients going to do? And after about 30 minutes, I was overcome by the most incredible feeling of calm I've ever felt in my entire life. I had a moose to eat. I wasn't going to starve. I couldn't cook it because there was... I was in tundra, so there was nothing to, 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 to build a fire with, but I was going to eat moose tartar. And <laughs> I realized that the world would go on without me, that, you know, when I didn't show up, they'd cancel the patients and they'd figure it out. Um, this was obviously you know, way before cell phones. And even if I'd had a cell phone, it wouldn't have worked. So it was, it was one of the greatest trips because it, it allowed me to you know, survive on my own for several days um, uh, eating what I had hunted. It was also in some ways the worst because my poor wife and family uh, really had a, only a vague idea of where I was uh, uh, now a week late uh, getting home. But it was certainly memorable. And uh, the head of that moose that I carried out of the wilderness on my back 
is now hanging above the fireplace of my cabin out at my farm. And I think about that every time I look at it. Wow. What a phenomenal story and a great lesson that in that moment you realized you could live without the world and the world perhaps would live without you. Um, maybe, maybe better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I doubt it, especially for your patients and your family, as you mentioned. Um, but, you know, as we said from the top, a very controversial topic that we so appreciate you coming on the show today to discuss frankly and to share your views, your experiences, and your defenses of this pastime that you love. Um, I personally learned a lot from it. I'm sure all, all of our listeners did and enjoyed the stories. So, Dr. Barrow, thank you so much for again joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast. It's my pleasure. You all have a happy new year and stay safe and healthy.